We'd like to thank our sponsors, A&H Provisions. For all of your kosher delicatessen needs, go to kosherdogs.net and 30% off of your first order with promo code MODI. Also, Whites and Luxembourg, the law firm that not only does well, they do good. Whitesandlux.com. Welcome to Andy's Modi. And we're back. And here's Modi. Um, wow, we have such a great guest today. I'm so excited. Um, I, I, I don't even know how to begin the introduction of our guest. He is the reason I do stand-up comedy. He and I met when we both moved into the city. Well, he was already in the city. He went to Columbia University. I went to BU. We moved into the city. Our first apartments were in the same building and we met and became friends right away. Like two Jews, same age, da da da. We used to go on walks to eat yogurt. We also, we were, our friendship was such a strong friendship because we, we had so much in common. We didn't drink. We didn't want to be in loud bars. We didn't want to be in, we didn't want to be in, um, we used to go to, what was the name of that club? Roxy? The Roxy. And sit outside and watch the people coming in and out rather than go in. It meanwhile, was meanwhile, meanwhile, meanwhile more fun. Right. Meanwhile, at 45 years old, I realized how much fun it was inside. Right. <laughs> but he, Donnie and I were like, what are we doing tonight? I don't know. Let's go to the Roxy. We sat out there, saw people coming in and now it's stoned, high, drunk. And we, we never went in. We, then we, went, we went and got frozen yogurt and went home. Okay. First of all, what's his name, our guest? Donnie Moss. I'm about to introduce him. Okay. He's my friend, Donnie Moss. And then um, when I was working at Merrill Lynch, I would come home and uh, and we would hang out with other friends and I would do imitations of the secretaries I worked with. And Donnie said, do this on stage. I go, what stage? He said, stand-up comedy. And I'd never been to a comedy club. And he organized my first show and it was at Stand Up New York, which was around the corner from where we lived. We were on 79th and Columbus. I was on 78th and Broadway. And he made the first night happen. And we, that was it. That was, since then, I've been doing stand-up comedy. And that he, is insane. Did, I mean, did you have any background? Like, how did you know you recognized something that he didn't even recognize in himself? Well, I mean, you must have known that you were a funny person, right? Because I'm sure you were always making people laugh, but no one had ever said to you, you should be a stand-up comedian. But, and you and I were spending so much time together. And I was, oh, when I wasn't apologizing to whoever you were insulting, I was, I was um, laughing. I mean, we were always laughing. Yeah. I, you know, I have to just tell one quick anecdote. You know, Modi said we used to go for yogurt. We would walk on weeknights after work. We would walk to this yogurt place about 15 blocks away on Columbus Avenue. And we would get, oh, and speaking of the yogurt, Modi would has, have them put sprinkles at the bottom and the middle and the top because yeah. we thought every layer, every bite needed to have sprinkles in it. I mean, so everything was silly and fun and funny and everybody sort of loved him. But we would, the reason I was saying that he was, you know, I kind of had to apologize for him. I don't know if you remember this. We were walking in the street and you saw Matt LeBlanc, the guy from Friends. Mm -hmm. And, oh, look, the friend, the friend. Like, Modi didn't know to, like, sort of sort of be discreet. He just kind of pointed at him. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. He just got to this country. I mean, he'd already been here for, like, 30 years. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, so I said, you are the funniest person I've ever met. You've got to get on stage. And, you know, what he doesn't talk about, I don't, think, I don't know if you've ever talked about this, is the fact that he went up on stand-up at Stand-Up New York. He killed the first day. 
Oh, he talks about that. Okay. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was on a night with all uh, open micers who had no, who were horrible. First of all, I also didn't care about being a stand-up comic. I was doing this for fun. Right. They were like, oh my God, this is my dream. I said, I have to kill. And they just sucked. And then I went on and I had a great set, but go ahead. We didn't even know it was called a set at the time. Yeah, we had and, no idea. And so, but what was so remarkable, and I didn't know anything about the stand-up world either, but was that within a few months, Modi was performing at all the big clubs. Right. He never had to do what so many comics have to do as they're climbing their way to, to the top which is barking and doing bringer shows i mean he didn't have to you paid your dues because you had to host late at night at the comedy cellar but there were comics who would have killed right. at your stage at that stage in their career to be able to do what you were doing how did you know how to even set up a comedy show though like how did you know you went to the club and you said like i have a friend because usually they'd i'll be tell like, you exactly how he did it he went to the club and said I have a friend who's very funny. How do I get him on stage? And he, you see, you have to bring five people and we'll give him six minutes. Right. So he brought, I believe it was Eric Ruthius. Really? How do you remember Yeah, this? I remember the table. Don, Don, Donnie has a pack of friends okay. from college. From, from college. And it's like his pack of friends, straight people. And, and their kids. I performed one of their weddings. <gasps> and uh, yeah, and he brought this crew. He was like, come with me to Modi's thing. And and we went. I went up there. I was in a suit because I came from work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember that night like it was yesterday. The club looked like a, a dump. <laughs> it was such a dump. But um, they sat right when you come in with the doors. And I went up and we had the best time. And I was on such a high. Right. I was on such a high. And Kerry Hoffman, who was the owner, came to me and said, you should stick with this and start to write your stuff. Wow. Yeah, but Donnie made that happen. But the act outs all came very naturally to you. You know, if he didn't ha you didn't have to right away start up with setups and punchlines, I don't think. I was doing huge characters. Right. So I just opened my mouth and, hey! You know, and hey! It was like very that. It was these over-the-top a Latin lady, a gay secretary, mm -hmm. a, uh, a Russian something or else, a, an Italian waiter. The Jamaican woman the who Jamaica had a box on the subway. Yeah. The aerobics. Was, the aerobics. The aerobics. I had this aerobics bit. I used to jump on. You remember when step classes were yeah, in? Yeah. I had this whole thing about step classes. I don't remember any of them. And most of the material I could not do today. That's for sure. Um, Donnie thought I shouldn't be doing a lot of it back then. <laughs> Donnie was my Leo back then. You can't, more, you, you can't say that. You can't say that. Oh, I wish I could remember that. But I, right I don't now I'm any thinking of all of that stuff would be funny today. And you're saying that now you're the one who's saying you can't do it. Oh, yeah. Are you crazy? Doing imitations of... No, but, but, like, the, but the lines that... I don't remember. Uh, Konyo and Mira, I remember uh, all those... Anyway, it was an act. It was over the top. Uh -huh. So I was closing shows at the comic strip. Right. I was closing shows at these other clubs. And then finally in April of uh, of 94... Esty passed. I got into Esty, and Esty passed me. And, uh, at and, the Comedy uh, Cellar? Yeah, but before that, I was, I was closing the shows at the strip. And it was... And he was brand new. And I don't think either of us appreciated how quickly you're. No idea. Yeah. We, we had no basis no for idea that we didn't I'm... know anyone else who did it. Now, are you getting a percentage of all of this? Yeah, Modi sends me a monthly check. No, <laughs> just being here is thanks enough. No. Donnie, and so, so now what was going on with Donnie at that moment? Donnie was, Donnie was, Donnie's so smart. I, I, he's going to say he's not. 
He's one of the Doesn't, smartest people I know. It's a miracle that everybody in my life is so smart, and I am the dumbest person. That's <laughs> ridiculous. No, but it's it's and 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 his husband even smarter. But Donnie was working in for, in. He he couldn't have hated it more. He was working in um, for pharmaceutical companies and doing their PR and and then PR companies that did pharmaceuticals. And he was jumping back and forth and back and forth because when he worked here, they would say, please, we'll hire you. And then he worked here and another pharmaceutical company will hire you. He could have been today the biggest in pharmaceutical company PR in the world. He would rather smash his head into a moving bus. <laughs> Literally, he he could not have hated his job even ever more. It was my calling for sure. Right now, so then he thought he was going to be a chef. Remember that? I went to culinary school while I was doing the pharmaceutical. Culinary school because he was going to do that, and uh, that was a hot minute for Donnie. And, and you uh, and another friend came to the graduation dinner where I cooked foie gras and no if i knew then what i know now yes what do you mean no full on dementia you're kidding me you don't remember coming to a graduation dinner i remember that like it was yesterday i remember where i sat Uh and it wasn't foie gras it was the ankle of the asabuco asabuco he put this piece of garbage (laughs) in front of me (laughs) It looked like, can I tell you what it looked like? You, you know when gefilte fish comes in that jelly? Yes. With a piece of flesh next, a uh. piece of meat next to it? He served that in front of me. I, I, I looked at the people we were with. I was with Amy Blyer. I, I remember, I remember it was yesterday. There's things you remember. I, and Donnie's, they had the chef thing and, and the clogs. Uh. He had the clogs and he had yeah. the whole thing. And he serves me this thing. go, you're kidding what, what, what else are we having? <laughs> and, the, and they're talking about how they did it and the, the, the heat of the oven was so important. I go, what is this? It was the grossest thing I'd ever seen. That's I don't think you, I ate it either, by the way. You didn't eat it either, no. but you cooked it. I don't remember. I, I can, although I, you know, I don't know if you still eat this, but I don't think you do. But Modi at that time was only eating the chicken, uh, the salad with the grilled chicken on top. Uh, nothing, every nothing, nothing, nothing. It's in my rider. Oh, okay. It's in my rider. So yeah, you were the wrong person to invite to that event. She w- what are you talking about? I mean, I'm glad you were there, but you didn't like my that. friend's first meal at culinary school. I'm yeah. the wrong person to invite to that meal. Okay. You should have ordered a pizza or something. You should have uh-huh. made pizza in the little pizza ovens they had. I saw. You've never met anyone less interested in food. Like he'll eat because he, knows. he has to eat. Yeah. Yeah, he I mean, knows. I wish I could eat to live instead of live to eat. You so know, hold on. If, and if care. we are doing the pass back, Donnie. When we this is we're talking about we were twenty three four five. This is when we this Donnie could eat five meals a night. He could walk into a restaurant, <laughs> have a full meal. We'd walk by a pizza place and go, that smells amazing. Two slices. Walk down further somewhere and have a hot dog at uh, papaya papaya, whatever uh, it was. Uh. He could eat with no absolutely no. He had this little body. Always built like a like a, you know, abs and this and no and and uh, always and then it changed and that it, came to a screeching halt. Screeching halt because I can remember one day where he said, "Oh, Donnie, you really let yourself go." Oh, <laughs> so I took the empanada out of my mouth, <laughs> and actually, you're the one who introduced me to intermittent fasting. And uh, so it's been four years now since it's you insane. and Leo came over and we had dinner and you said I were, you were intermittent fasting at the time. I said, I'm going to try that. And it's been four years since I basically quit stopped eating breakfast. And it really helps 
Yeah. It really so helped me. Donnie Stopping to eat does help. Yeah, not eating. And, but then Donnie's trajectory. Ooh. Ooh, SAT word. <laughs> not um, really. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good. It's good enough. It's good, I mean, it's fine, but it's not an SAT word. It's not an SAT word. It definitely is an SAT word. A trig. Trigonometry's in it. Um, uh, Donnie became uh, vegan. Really? Yeah. And you know how everybody. Just like I said to him, I threw him the line, "Hey, try intermittent fasting." And like we, of course, two weeks later, finished with intermittent fasting. And then he stayed for four years with it. It was that time where, like, Netflix had nonstop documentaries about going vegan and, right. and not eating meat. And, and Donnie watched all of them and memorized them and told us all we have to watch them. And he caught on to them. And, of course, you watch one of those documentaries and you, for, like, a day or two, become vegan. And, but Donnie kept with it and it, really feels the anguish and the pain of the animals. And it is like... It, 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 uh, Donnie is, is uh, when I do something good for the Jewish community, there's nothing but thank you and we're so appreciative and thank you. Donnie is helping people, animals, and can't be thanked. Like they, they don't, they can't thank him. When he, when he protests and when he uh, does all, I, I mean, we're going to talk about what he does. One of the main things, he made a movie called Blinders which was about the horse-drawn carriages in New York City, hey. one of the most ridiculous things that exists in our city, the torture that these animals go through. And um, every civilized city in the world almost banned it, right? Yeah, it's, it's been banned from a lot of cities. I mean, the idea that we have horses pulling, you know, 19th century carriages through the congested streets of Midtown Manhattan, and we've all seen it because it's right in front of the Plaza Hotel and all through the streets of Midtown. It's so anachronistic. It's so inhumane. It's so unsafe. But the industry is politically connected. But, yeah, I made a documentary film called Blinders, The Truth Behind the Tradition in 2008. On a cell phone. No, it wasn't a cell phone, but it wasn't, it wasn't with all this fancy equipment, but I didn't, when I got, when I bought the camera at B&H Photo, I, uh, when I bought the camera, I wasn't thinking I'm making a full, I thought I was going to make some short videos to help the activists who were trying to raise awareness and educate the public about why this was cruel. But one interview led to another, and that was contacted by people who witnessed accidents and then veterinarians who work on horses. And like, it just turned into a whole documentary. And I got lucky because Alec Baldwin saw it and I volunteered to host a screening, the right. New York premiere. And so it got more attention than it otherwise would have. And now you could, I post, I uploaded it to YouTube. You can see it for free. What, 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 what you once had an incident um, where one of your clips on YouTube that had a, millions of followers, uh, clicks was taken off and then was put on again. Oh, so in that was. Was now, that the horse-drawn thing or no? No. In 2013, I, you, I don't want to get into the po politics of it, yeah. but he had a miracle. I saw a miracle happen with Donnie Moss, and he would never acknowledge it. He isn't, he's not like, like into that. But he had a video that was on a project he was working on that was, it had hundreds of thousands of views, if not in the millions of views. Right? That's happened a couple times. I mean, the one the one video that has the most views, about 10 million views, um, is about a dog in Liberia. I was in Liberia visiting a friend, and she rescued a dog in like who was dying in the street. And I documented that dog's recovery, and the dog was sent to the U.S. and is living with a family in Denver. And so that video, I, I didn't know that was going to happen, but went 
viral. So I've had videos taken down, but one came back up. It was, one it was, was about politics. It, it was a big political thing, and it was taken down. And then through just asking favors from people who were in the in, in YouTube world and whatever, it was put back up with all of the... With all, not like a brand new, like right, we all, right, right. it was wow. a miracle. It was a miracle. And he'd never, that's that Mashiach energy. That was a Mashiach energy moment you had there. Anyway, um, and then, to, uh, so the, the blindest thing was like, all of a sudden your friend is hosting a movie that he made on a, on a camera, on like a little thingy camera and host and, and had to interview these people who was, some of them were really nasty and you could tell just like, uh, the one that lived on Central Park South, the gay oh, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, who ended up hosting a fundraiser for Ted Cruz. Yes, yes. It's, and it's, that it's, was it's, that guy's downfall. He was canceled. He was canceled. Um, and then uh, it was just impressive. And, and it wasn't like a phase. He stayed with it. And he really is with these animals and... Um, his Instagram account is amazing. It's, I can't spell it. It's all my social media platforms are at their turn, as if it's not your turn or your turn, it's their turn. Right, the animal's um, turn. The animal's turn. Because, right. you know, and I named it that, and I probably wouldn't pick that name today, but at the time when I was speaking out on behalf of animals, everybody would say, well, what about the children? Or what about, you know, what about hunger? And what about cancer? And, what about, and so I'm like, well, when is it going to be their turn? You know, there's never going to be a good time for animals. So that's why I named it that. Um, at the sort of the start of my animal rights. So I don't eat meat. I'm a vegetarian. But most of my issue is that um, it's the industry. Like if you go to like an organic farm in like Italy, you're getting like a very different experience than you are with the disgusting meat industry of America, right? Is that part of it or is that not... Well, so first of all, 90, over 99% of the animals and animal byproducts that we eat come from factory farms, these animal factories where they're just treated like commodities before they're sent off to the slaughterhouse. So, you know, people who say, um, I only eat free range, cage free, free, all of that stuff, these are marketing terms. So bullshit. Anytime an uh, animal rights organization goes in with cameras and does an investigation, the truth is revealed, which is that they're just animals were raised in factories and raised is generous. They're tormented for their whole lives in these factories before going off to the slaughterhouse. But even if animals did have a nice life, um, and that can never happen given how many we eat, I mean, a slaughterhouse is such a horrible place. Nothing humane happens in a slaughterhouse. And it was footage of inside of slaughterhouses that I saw back in 2005 that I, I had never seen it before. And it's all sort of well hidden. I mean, the industry doesn't want you to see these things, right? Because they of know course. that people like me would see it and say, oh my God, here I said I love animals. And uh, and then I was sitting down three times a day to eat animals who were slaughtered in these horrific ways. And so there's basic, you know, there's there's no... there's no Know your audience. We got the wrong podcast <laughs> to sell that on. Um, but we were going to... Well, I wanted to speak to you about one of the biggest things that you work on... Um, which is uh, the Kaparus. Yeah, so... You, you know what that is, right? No, what's Kaparus? How do you not know what Kaparus is? You've never heard of that? No. She's she's why we keep on the podcast. She's just so, in case we, something Jewish comes <laughs> up, she's like, what does that mean? Well, to be what? fair, I mean, most secular Jews have never heard of Kaparus. Well, it's I also what we're saying the name of it, but you know that before Yom Kippur... A tradition there is to take a chicken, swing it over your head three times, right? Oh, I have heard of That's that. That's kaparus. 
kapahot. A live chicken? A live chicken, and then the chicken's killed. It could also be done with money. So in the Jewish community, in the Jewish tradition, before Yom Kippur, is customary to take a chicken or money and swing it over your head and you say these prayers um, and then the chicken is killed and it's supposed to be that your sins go into the chicken and the chicken is then slaughtered and and is uh, and your sins are kind of absolved or, or, or it's at least you're, you're, you, you, you acknowledge that you have sins and it's you're doing something acknowledging your sins. Now, in my opinion, back in the old days when you were in the shtetl, in, you know, the old uh, Anatevka, okay. or if you were in Morocco on your farm, whatever there, you'd go into the yard, you'd take a chicken, you'd cut its head off, and then you eat it. And then, but now it's become uh, an industry and it's become scary. They have these trucks that are, and I, I'm basically doing your cell, but I wanted, this is the way I view it, and you tell me if it's wrong. They have these trucks that are brought in. Um, a day or two before the caporis is done, and the chickens are 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 filed and and uh, and stuck uh, in these, they can't spread their wings. They're like crates. They're like crates. That's right. It's a crates, and you know, and their defecation goes on to one another, and it's really really sad. And people don't see that. People don't see what, how the chicken gets to the caporis. So when you're in your Jewish neighborhood and you go to where caporis is done, you don't see the truck. You just see the what oh what the truck has gone through in those few days before getting there. They're not being fed. They're not being watered. They're just tortured in this little thing. And then you're grabbing it and swinging it and then killing it. It's a horrible thing. It's okay. it's a horrible thing. First um, of all, let me finish. And so, <laughs> um, they have them during during the season of Kaparas before Yom Kippur all over Brooklyn in the Hasidic neighborhoods. They have them also in Long Island in not-so-religious neighborhoods. Some people do it. M most don't. Um, I'm going to continue on. Just Donnie always asked me for information about it and what do you think and how, and did you know that they can do money instead of the chicken? And, the, uh, and I always told him, you, the, the Orthodox Jewish community does not need you to educate them on how to practice their religion. They may need some education in what's happening with the chicken until it gets to where it is. And I always told Donnie, you know, it's insane because in one of the neighborhoods that he fights at the most, which is Crown Heights, a neighborhood that's very dear to me because it's, it's the Lubavitch headquarters and where Jewish tunnels were invented. Oh, um, they do this there. And, you know, there's also a Jewish museum there for children. And I, don't, I haven't been there in a long time, but one of the exhibits in that museum was when Moses, before Moses, how did God know Moses should be Moses? He saw his kindness to an animal. That's like one of the reasons Moses was Moses. Um, and that was one of the exhibits they had at this museum. And then like right across the street is where they do kaparas, these poor chickens. And it's, and, 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 it could be, and I remember one of the people told me that they heard Donnie's thing and they told me that they, instead of going to the corner and doing that, they did it in their home with money. You can do it with money. You can, it's, same, it's the same mitzvah. There's nothing in the Torah that mandates using a chicken. Right. And so... Uh, it's just a tradition. 
Yeah, and it's a very sad thing. And I, if I can give any plug to anybody, if you do do Kaparis, don't. Don't. Take money and swing it over your head. And you, It's in the sitter. Any art scroll sitter will show you exactly what to do. Uh, it's easier. Less chickens uh, are tortured. Um, and uh, it's one thing you can do. I'm not saying go vegan, but I this, am. Is one thing, <laughs> this is one thing you can definitely do. Am I right or wrong? Absolutely. You know, and it's just so, I don't think that most of the practitioners of Kapoor's understand, first of all, that chickens are sentient, that they're living beings, that they can feel pain and suffer just like us. Right. But they also don't realize that not only are they brought into New York City in these flatbed trucks, but they're also in many cases kept in crates for up to several days with no food and water. So they're intensively confined. They, uh, they're, they have no protection from weather extremes and they get sick. And we found over the years, thousands of dead crates mixed, dead animals, I'm sorry, dead chickens mixed in with the living in these crates. So there's also a big health issue here. And there've been bird flu outbreaks in New York City. It's just a matter of time before bird flu is transmitted from an animal to a human in that wet market, live animal market setting, right? When you think of how COVID emerged, probably in that wet market in China, yeah, you have humans physically handling live animals. Well, not probably. I don't know if you heard in the past uh, podcast of ours, Perio declared herself as a Republican. So that means... <laughs> <laughs> we never discussed that, by the way, and what happened with that crazy. <laughs> okay, first of all, well, just, I am so, going so, so to... you for sure it was the wet markets of China for you, right? I, I am first of all <laughs> going to throw up. That is the most disgusting story I have maybe it ever gets heard grosser. in it my gets grosser. life. What is going on here with millions of disgusting dead chickens? Like, what is this insanity? First of all, that is so foul. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> Donna used to do stand-up also, by the way. Okay, it was very funny. I'm not kidding. That is so gross. Why are people doing that? Are they eating these chickens after this also? You know what? There are probably 30 of these pop-up slaughterhouses that are erected, by the way, on public streets and residential neighborhoods without permits. If I want to have a street fair on my block, I have to get a permit with sign off from the Department of Transportation, Department of Health, uh, the health, uh, you know. Okay. Uh, no, no. Okay, one, one second. I don't think... And again, I am with you 100%. I don't eat meat. I think the whole thing is disgusting. I think the way that animals are treated is revolting. It is like taking poison energy into your body. That's So that's my personal position. I don't- Huh? Think, huh? Happy to hear it. I don't think go. people care about how animals are treated because in America, at least, if you go to the supermarket to buy meat, in most cases, there is intentionally a very big divide of what it looks like where you buy a nice plastic wrapped piece of meat versus the animal itself, right? Okay. You don't know because you don't go to supermarkets. To I go to, super, I've been to the supermarkets. <laughs> supermarkets. Yeah, I but don't. they don't sell the chickens with the heads on them or the pigs with the heads. So if there's a disconnect between what you're buying. I, I want to focus this this podcast not on that, if you don't mind. I would like to help with people just not doing Kaparis. But doing it with money, giving them another option is a very nice 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's what the focus should be. If you don't mind, I'm just, I just think it's when you have too many things on the table talking about them, nothing gets done. But if we can just focus on the fact that even though we're so far away from the next Yom Kippur, we have we have Passover coming, Purim coming on Pesach, and then other before we get to Yom Kippur. But let's let's plant the seed. Let's plant the seed, and we'll bring you back on before Yom Kippur. Just let's lose Kaparos. Do the Let, money. Do the the money is a. Why not do the money? That's well, it. Just, this is a business for a lot of people, yeah. right? These. These are concessions that people set up once a year. How much does it cost to buy one of these the things? The chickens are anywhere from like $5 to $10 maybe. I think it varies from concession to concession. But there are po these pop-up slaughterhouses and these Kaporos concessions set up throughout Williamsburg and Crown Heights and Borough Park, Midwood, other neighborhoods. It's a big business for people once a year. And if that's part of what we're competing against. And people, you know, they, they're, I guess their rabbis say, we're, we're once again, we're going to use chickens as Kaporos, and they listen to their rabbis. And I do think that we've gotten through to some people over the years. That's good. And I, and I have you had do. Modi, I have had people, Hasidim, come up to me and say, look, I agree with you. If this was a shtetl in Poland, then it's exactly what you just described. But most people are just doing it because they're, they're it's part of the tradition. The rabbi tells them to. As soon as the rabbis say, you know, this has been too industrialized, it's too unhealthy. It's too risky because of the, a disease transmission, like in, in this wet market setting. You know, keep Please in mind, you've got that. thousands upon thousands of individuals, including young children and the elderly, physically handling live animals who were mixed in, who were sick, visibly sick with respiratory disease because they're mouth breathing and they're mixed in <sighs> crates with dead animals. So I, there is going to be a time where someone gets a, a, a version of bird flu that could be transmitted among humans and it's going to spread like wildfire, like COVID, a strain of bird flu before public health authorities are even aware of it. It's going to happen. Hopefully it won't. I'm just saying in this, if we can do anything to help um, people listening to us, uh, it's, it, it, we, we have ultra orthodox listening to us and, and not religious at all. Who's like, what the hell, what, what, what money are they talking about? <laughs> It's what money, what kaparas, what are you guys even talking about? And the religious ones, listen, this is if uh, I I don't think that doing kaparas on the street and wherever you go is Mashiach energy because it's just not, it's not right. It's just, there's suffering there and you don't need, nothing needs to, to be suffering for you. Listen, I, I've tried going vegan. I've tried going vegetarian. I try. It's here. It's there. Uh, uh, we, we try not to, but we, we end up eating meat. We're on the road. We go to a kosher restaurant. We eat sushi. It's, it's, it's not, we try. And it's a very important Listen. thing to at least try, and it causes l less things to happen. You, going vegan completely for us was just not a, an option. But for some people it is. Some people it's a health issue. But if I can do one thing with this episode of this podcast – no more caparos. Also, the less meat you eat, the better. Every time you don't eat meat, it's better than eating right. meat, right? Look, perfection is the enemy of good. There's no question about it. But now I there's will our say, title. I will say back in 2004, 
five when I saw a video called Meet Your Meat and made the switch to a plant-based diet and, a ve- and adopted a vegan lifestyle. It was a lot harder back then than it is now. I mean, now we have all of these substitutes, not all necessarily health food, but all of the things that you think you can't imagine giving up, they're alternatives now yeah. and they're delicious and they're almost indistinguishable. So I don't feel like I'm even making a sacrifice anymore. And when you think about how much better it is for your health, to follow a plant-based diet, as many whole foods as possible, right? Whole foods, plant-based diet, how much better it is for the planet, right? Because nothing is more destructive than uh, animal agriculture. And I mean, of course, fossil fuels are horrible too. And uh, and of course, it's better for the animals. And there's no Messiah, I'm sure. Messiah energy. Thank you. Involved in a slaughterhouse. And what about your husband? Is he a vegan too? Yeah. The crazy thing is when we met, he was a lawyer for one of the biggest meat and dairy companies in the world. I'm not going to name names because I'm not sure if we're supposed to, but, uh, and I was working at the time for a pharmaceutical company that made drugs to help the people who were getting sick from eating the meat and dairy that his company was selling. Uh, So now we're both, neither of us work for a meat and dairy or pharmaceutical company. We're both um, plant-based vegans. I will say something. I'll take a moment to talk about about your your husband, who probably should come on the podcast as well. He's um, Jim McNasby. Um, Like I said, was always, my mom calls him the lawyer from Harvard. (laughs) Uh, uh, He's a Harvard lawyer and he worked for um, these insane gigs he had a chief counselor of uh craft food and chief counselor of something in your you were in london for a hot minute with yeah. him what were you there and insure a big insur- global insurance company global insu- uh Mc- Mc- marsh it was called marsh mcclellan still, it's still called that it's still called that and he was their chief lawyer of this huge insurance company coming from food just because the way he thinks he knows how to fix problems it's a, and now and he has parkinson's and he now is the is a chief counsel for uh, the Michael Fox Foundation. Oh, yeah. And besides that, though, he is, which is real Mashiach energy, when somebody's diagnosed with Parkinson's, chas v'shalom, God forbid, they call him, and he speaks to them, and he gives them that, like, it's going to be okay. Here's the options. Look at here. Look at there. And he's very calm, his voice. It's very, very, he talks very light and, and it's, and he, he now left that huge world of being whatever kind of lawyer he, he could be. And he's working and really helping, helping the world, helping create uh Mashiach energy through, through the Michael J. Fox foundation. It's a great foundation. I've worked with them a few times. Yeah. They're I amazing. mean, it's so, they have advanced, you know, Parkinson's. Uh, far more than the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. So I want to uh, again, just again, this podcast. If anything you take away, just let's not do caparis with chicken. Let's get back to Donnie. Donnie for a hot minute. I forgot I used to do stand up comedy. No. Yes. Good. Yeah. Yes. He had some funny jokes. <laughs> <laughs> there was one. I joke. was so flattered when you took when you took one of them. I took one of his jokes. I go, well, listen, you, you, you stopped doing comedy. I go, perfect. I'm taking one of his jokes. <laughs> he had a joke. And, um, oh, if I can remember it, I, I don't do it, but it, it goes, it's a great joke for wh- wherever you are in the world. Uh-huh. You can just ask somebody in the audience, what's the worst neighborhood in this area? And they'll tell you Compton in LA or uh, Riverville or wherever in some some part of Detroit that you never heard, and you just get the name, a specific name, and you can say the um, you can say I was in uh, Compton. Wow, the cops are there. Are they're really tough. I saw one peeing behind the squad car. 
No, I saw him peeing behind the police car, and she wasn't even squatting. <laughs> that was the <laughs> That was my opener. Like, I knew I could get a laugh right away. It was such a great joke. <laughs> and she wasn't even squatting. I love that joke. <laughs> you had other funny jokes. Very Wendy Lieberman type of humor. Pom, 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 pom. Pom, 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 pom. Like, in a flat affect at the end. Boom. It was very funny. And you just, it was too schleppy for you. It was too much running around, right? It was a lot. Well, we moved to London, and then all of, none of my jokes worked there. It was like, uh, you know, I was doing jokes about things that, like just the Olive Garden as an example, things that they had no idea about. So I had my 10 or 15 minutes when I moved there, and none of it worked. And also there was smoking in London at the time. Yes. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to put this on hold till I get back, and I just never took it up again. And my husband at home with Parkinson's disease who needed help at the time, and thankfully he's doing better now. And so I just, I didn't take it up again. I sometimes miss it. I had horrible stage fright, but I love that feeling. No, but he's still, laugh. he, at his husband's birthday party, he grabbed the mic and killed it killed uh i forgot that speech you made at, at, yeah, at yeah. jim's uh birthday party so funny um uh, it was just great anyway i i it's one of the blessings of my life is having donnie moss as a close close friend he was at the 92nd street y and um and he's helping the world Mashiach, creating Mashiach energy through animal rights um like i said uh if you can, do not do caparis. That's if we can just take one thing with with chickens. Uh, thank you. Don't do caparis with chicken. On that note, <clears throat> I want to thank our sponsors. Yes. Oh. Yes. So if rough you're transition. gonna eat meat, if you're gonna eat meat, oy vey. enjoy yourself. <laughs> enjoy yourselves. Enjoy it, and have the best quality and type of meat from A and H Provisions. The literally uh, the clean packaged well i don't know what happened before but it's it's if you're going to eat meat and are people here who are going to eat meat they're not this is not going to change anyone to, to vegan we're hoping this episode just stops doing caparis with chicken but we uh, our friends uh, sponsor us and they're amazing a uh, and h provisions website www.kosherdogs.net sorry donnie yes this is uh I mean, it's probably it's a great one. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. <laughs> a tough and of transition. course, Weitz and Luxembourg, the law firm that not only does well, they do good. Very philanthropic. Uh, Arthur Luxembourg is a friend of the podcast, been on the podcast, and Weitz and Luxembourg is definitely the attorneys you want behind you. And their website is? Whitesandlux.com or just Weitz Lux. Yeah. Um, so... How can people reach you and help you and be a part of what you're doing? You can find me at theirturn.net and on all the social media platforms uh, at theirturn. Their and the there is spelled T-H-I-E-R. E-I-R. Very close. E-I-R. I was close. I knew it wasn't the E-R-E. Right. That's And I knew it wasn't the one. The other one with the... We know you just got here from Israel a couple years ago. Coming up with the name, I was bothering you. <laughs> they, they were there. <laughs> Whose turn is it? Whose turn is it? <laughs> I couldn't get it down. But um, he's almost like a one-man operation, and you should definitely branch out. And if anybody wants to help, reach out to him. He's uh, he's it's real. He everything he gives, he gives it with 100. percent And um, Periel, this is going to air before or after Paramount? Um, Probably the week of, no? Let's say the 
you have shows coming up. We have shows coming up. I don't know if this is before or after the Paramount Theater. Watch me do this without Leo. I'm, I'm already giving myself a shikayach. Uh, I'm at the Paramount Theater in Huntington, Long Island on the 15th and the 18th. Um, uh, tickets are almost sold out. There might be one or two left by now. Um, then we go to San Diego at the Balboa Theater. Um, and that is on the 20... On the no, Boston. No, without Lee, I don't know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. ModiLive.com. No, leave me alone. <laughs> I, I can do this. Boston. I'm going to be in Boston the 28th and 29th of February. Um, a few tickets left in each show. Um, and then San Diego, the the 3rd of March. Uh, two shows, a matinee and, uh, and an evening show. And then uh, at the Improv, that was totally sold out. So never mind, the Improv in, um, in Hollywood. And then we have St. Louis and Orlando and Dallas and Denver and all places in Pennsylvania. The Kennedy Center sold out. But what's most important is ModiLive.com. Uh, Get tickets for yourself, for friends. Uh, be the friend that brings the friends to the comedy show. That's Mashiach Energy, making your friends laugh. And what else? You're going to be in Royal Oak, Michigan. Royal Oak, Michigan, yes, which is by Detroit. You're going to be in Montclair, New Jersey Montclair, on March Montclair, New Jersey. 17th. Those shows, I think, are sold out. But they may not be. ModiLive.com. Just go to ModiLive.com. Say hi. Uh, we love all your feedback. Again, thank you to A&H um, uh, sponsoring us and also Whites in Luxembourg. And thank you, Donnie Moss, for being here today and making me be a stand-up comedian. Uh, you can definitely say it's because of me you're doing stand-up. Uh, thank you very much. I mean, chances are you'd be doing it anyway by this point, but thank you. No, who joy knows? to be here. And I'm, I'm um, happy to come back every week for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs>